Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way. And then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place. Um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Great, great story. Notice that Jesus doesn't get angry 
except when people who have no voice have their rights violated. The reason he cleansed the temple two weeks ago was, three weeks ago rather, because it was before the Gentiles. The Gentiles had no official voice. And this place where they were supposed to be meeting God was taken away from them and turned into a, a marketplace, into a den of thieves. He doesn't, when, when his own disciples get in the way of children coming to Jesus, he becomes indignant with the, the, the language in there. There's this, this, this visceral outrage at their, um, their, their limiting children from accessing children had the war. He does it with women, he does it with lepers, he does it with sick people all the time. The only, the only time he seems to get angry is when people who have no voice are denied what little presence they actually can have. Right? So, so now we're in this tension because we're now dealing with those whose role it is to deny voice to the power. To create boundaries and barriers so that they who are the definers of orthodoxy can determine who's in and who's out. Because if I can determine who's in and who's out, that gives me authority over who's in and who's out. I get to say, we don't have to attend to you because you're out. Do you, you see how this works? And, and Jesus is just saying, why can't we just live and let in and out define itself as we go along? That's horribly threatening to somebody who's spent their entire life formulating rules and regulations so that it maintains their power structure. You see? So here they come to Jesus, and they're using a very important rabbinic technique. The technique of a rabbi in this culture is to ask a question, to teach by the asking of questions. Then the student would answer the question, or if the student wants to demonstrate his confidence, he would ask another question that demonstrates first and understands where the question came from and is taking it to another level. You'll notice at page 12, what were the Pharisees surprised at? The depth of Jesus' questions. By age 12, he was already impressing these very people with his grasp of who they were and what they were doing. All right? So now they decide they want to play chess with Jesus. And he says, bring it on. So they ask a very important rabbinic question. What is your authority? Are you out or are you in? We've already determined that you are out. Why do we know you're out? Because you're not supporting us. You're not fitting into the system of understanding that we grew up with. That's how we know you're out. On the other hand, we're trying to figure out where you come from. So where do you get this authority? To do this, to cleanse the temple, to say the outrageous things you're saying. Where does this come from? And Jesus says, I, 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 Mark doesn't give us this, this image, but I like to imagine being in, in the crowd with you. And just imagine the look on Jesus' face. Where do you get this authority from? That is a very good question. Let me think about this for Here's what I'd like to do. Now, Rabbi Jesus takes in the motion. Notice now what he's doing is seeking to ask a question that helps him know where he is paid relative to them. Right? So he says, look, I'll answer your question, which is an outstanding one. By the way, I just want to commend you on the brilliance of your question. But let me ask you, 
You know that prophet of our Lord? You know that guy out there, John the Baptist? Was his baptism from heaven or was it from heaven? And you could immediately feel the temperature in the atmosphere go up as it meals in the atmosphere. Right? So they gather around in a little boat and they say, if you say, say from heaven, then he will say, well, why didn't you believe it? But if you say from earth, we're sitting next to the crowd because they all believe he was from God. So they wisely, I love this, I love this answer. Okay, you know. We don't know. Now here's what Jesus has done. He has just demonstrated that while they have capacity for the question, they don't have capacity for the answer. While they are at a place where they can ask the question, where do you get this authority from? They are not at a place where they can hear the answer with any meaning at all. How many of you know how that works? If you've, got, if you've, if you've ever talked to a junior high kid, you know what that's like, right? Because junior high kids moving from concrete thinking to abstract thinking, they all of a sudden have capacity for questions way larger than the capacity for answers. Right? And, and, and so Jesus is saying, saying to these guys, you guys are, have got the ability to ask the questions, but not the ability to hear the answers with me. So I'm not going to tell you where my authority comes from. When you develop capacity, come back and we'll talk. Right? So he's, he's, he's kind of checkmated them into a corner here. And he, he put them in check. They're kind of squirming. Now he's going to go to me. With me. Look at what happens in verse 1 of chapter 12. Taking advantage of, their, of this, first of all, Jesus began to speak to them in parable. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, he dug a pit to the wine press, and built a watchtower. And then he rented out the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. So when it was harvest time, he sent a servant to the tents to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him. They beat him. They sent him away empty handed. So they sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head. They treated him shamefully. So he sent still another one. And the one they, this one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. Until finally, he had one left to say. This son He sent him last of all, saying, Surely they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him, and they killed him, and they threw him out of the vineyard. Now, what do you think the owner of the vineyard will do? I'll tell you. He'll come and kill him. He will get the vineyard because how did you get this inscription? that the builders rejected as becoming a cornerstone. The Lord has done this. It is marvelous in our eyes. 
forbid the teacher, the teachers of the law and the others looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left Pretty intense. Uh, it's built on an understanding from the book of Isaiah that Israel is God's enemy. That he, Israel, is a vine of God's own planting. So we pass into this parable with an awareness. By the way, all of these men were experts in the law. They had heard this story or variations on this before. They had probably taught on Israel's identity as the vineyard of God and themselves as the caretakers of the vineyard. So now Jesus is telling the story. And he says, but he built instructed them to pray the others in charge of his vineyard. There's no question in this story whose vineyard it is. Not to anybody in the story. So the tenants plant and harvest. The landowner sends a representative for his payment. He is very happy for every member of that tenant community to enjoy the fruit of the vineyard as long as they pay rent, if you will, as long as they recognize it's not ours, it's his. So we will give him a percentage, a reasonable percentage, typically in that culture, and we will enjoy the rest. They thought, we want to keep everything so they kill the message, or send it back, or abuse them, or beat them, or whatever it was, until finally the message is somehow there. The son of the of the uh, is there. If we kill him, squatters' rights says we get the victory. What we didn't realize is that in order to have the heir get the vineyard, the father, the landowner, has to die. So if you nuke the heir before the father has died, you still have to deal with the father. So what Jesus says will that landowner do? And by the way, given the ancient Near Eastern culture, they, they are starting to cheer. They are moaning at the at the abuse of the each representative. And in can you just feel the temperature of the chief priests, of the elders, of the authorities of the law, because they have described themselves as the keepers of the vineyard that is Israel, the keepers of the vineyard that is Judaism. And the crowd surrounding them is beginning to get sunburned from the shame that is beginning to bubble up in the faces of these, these religious leaders. Do you, you see what's happening? What do you think? Now notice what he's doing. All right, you guys. 
moving the way to verify my authority. You demonstrated yourself incapable for the answer to the question you There's a line in the sand. It's you. Always you. The tension is building. And it will continue to build until Christian comes. When they arrest him, not at daytime in front of the crowd, but at nighttime when nobody killed him. They do a trial in the middle of the night, and they have him on the cross before the council needs to move on the side of the You see what's going on in there? Now, this story is really good because it's about them. Aren't you glad that Jesus went after those people? Yeah. How many know where this is going? Really? 
Sweet. 